0: If you can gain the trust of people by knowing that their privacy is protected, they're going to be less apprehensive towards
1: the use and application of AI in certain fields. Hello, everyone. As you already know, over the last decade, artificial intelligence technologies have increasingly become a significant part of our lives. Whether it's the next recommended show on Netflix, selfie photo filters, or the suggested gifts you should buy on Amazon, AI is only getting better at making predictions and generating superhuman-like solutions. For us, the consumer. In episode 86, entrepreneur Cordell France, co-founder and CEO of Secret Technologies, gets deep into the weeds on engineering AI, replicating consciousness through AI, and the truth about human bias encoded in some AI systems. Although Secret Technologies is a startup that has been experimenting in multiple industries, including defense, finance, agriculture, and sports, They are spending quite a big chunk of their resources applying their core computer vision technology to the digital medical imaging space. This episode was particularly interesting as we talked about some of the amazing machine learning capabilities and computer vision tools being used in healthcare. We also talked about some of the challenges most entrepreneurs face early in their careers. I really enjoyed talking to Cordell, and I hope you all enjoy this episode. Let me know what you think. As usual, you can find links and more info about this episode in the show notes. Remember, the Health Unchained podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only, and we are not providing any sort of legal, financial, or medical advice. Please do your own research and due diligence before making any important decisions related to these matters. Hi, I'm your host, Ray Dogan, and welcome to Health Unchained. On this show, I'll be speaking with healthcare entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and executives who are using blockchain technologies to revolutionize healthcare. These innovators are building the distributed infrastructure and diverse communities required for a trusted, secure, and decentralized healthcare ecosystem. Enjoy the show. What is blockchain? What is blockchain? What is blockchain? The doctor will see you now. Welcome to Health Unchained. Today we speak with co-founder and CEO of Seeker Technologies, Mr. Cordell France, who will share his experience building his AI startup, which seeks to solve some of the toughest industry challenges. Mr. Cordell, thank you so much for joining today. I'd like to start with you providing your background uh, and you know, career and experience for the audience. Sure, uh, Ray. Thank
0: you again for your time and for having me on the show. For my background, I so I was a, a mathematics and physics undergrad I did my bachelor's degree. Dual majored in, in mathematics and uh, more specifically, or uh, applied statistics and physics, and then took some computer science courses along the way. Went to a graduate program specifically for artificial intelligence and acquired. You know additional uh, computer science with that in that regard and uh, went into industry working for a few defense com- companies specifically in the field of autonomous systems and had uh, <clears throat> had some access and experience to various levels of computer vision in, in that regard and uh, learned a lot in, in those industries worked for a couple different companies uh, acquiring different levels of experience along the way uh, I actually worked as a mechanical engineer for my first uh, few years uh, and then kind of merged over into systems and software engineering uh, and that which kind of is interesting because it kind of gives you a different look uh, as far as AI goes and, and everything, you know, being able to apply physics to it and Uh, to a software standpoint with that mechanical engineering background anyway yeah continued down the software route um, for for the last few years and um, ended up leaving uh, just a few years ago to start seeker and it's been uh, incredibly successful ever since
1: that's pretty cool yeah i know you spent some time at raytheon which is a large defense um, organization as an airframe engineer which is pretty interesting so you probably know a lot about how you know these autonomous drones are working you know uh, during war times and even just for surveillance, so um, I have a lot of questions about surveillance. But we'll we'll stick to the healthcare conversation for this conversation. Um, but unless you have anything interesting to share about that perspective,
0: uh, uh, there's not a lot of there's not a whole lot I can talk about uh, in the realms of, of my work there, just because uh, some of it was uh, classified, but. Uh, a lot of my work revolved around sensors and uh, simulations, so it had a primarily software aspect to it, but uh, you're basically providing simulations of, you know, maybe flight trajectories or uh, different, you know, uh, sensor components and, and kind of integration with, with all of that. Uh, and, you know, a host of other things that I uh, probably can't talk about, but um, it, sure. yeah, as far as surveillance goes, there's probably not a whole lot I can say in regards to uh, defense on that
1: no problem uh, i'm sure it's it's top secret so it's okay yeah. <laughs> um but i i find your interest in ai really fascinating i'm very much into you know high level understanding ai and how it impacts human beings and society and the way we work the way we play and all these things and maybe what we could do is just kind of tell the audience like what is computer vision actually what does that even mean people hear hear that and some people just think you know a camera some AI or something like that, but what is it really trying to do while using, you know, machine learning AI?
0: Yeah. So, uh, fundamentally computer vision is, uh, it's, it's pattern recognition on steroids. So you're, you're finding objects in an image, making sense of what's going on in that image. And really a series of images through camera footage, um, and really trying to give, uh, an onboard computer situational awareness about, uh, about a task it's trying to complete. Um, so in the event of self-driving cars computer vision is looking for line mark or lane markings on the road looking for other cars um, and and doing object detection for various different things to for um, obstacle avoidance and so the it's it's primarily um, I, I i like to just say it's situational awareness uh, for computer visual situational awareness rather
1: got it that's interesting um, and let's hear about secret technologies a little bit uh, and then we could talk about ai and some other things a little uh, in between during the conversation, but Secret Technologies. So, what is it and why did you start it?
0: So, Secret Technologies is an artificial intelligence startup. And what we're trying to do is uh, democratize AI into some industries that aren't really receiving a lot of artificial intelligence investment. Specifically, what I mean by that, uh, so self driving cars are receiving a significant amount of research and capital in order to catapult companies into trying to manifest self driving. Um, and so there's a lot of focus and a lot of effort and a lot of talent in that realm. Some aspects of medicine even have a lot of investment, whereas others, whereas others don't. We're trying to focus on industries that don't necessarily receive a lot of attention with uh, artificial intelligence, either research or capital investment. Um, so areas such as agriculture, some areas of manufacturing, um, healthcare, more specifically the areas of healthcare that we're focusing on are uh, areas such as neuropsychology. Um, and some just some of these industries that really have an, an incredible potential to uh, be propelled by the advancements in artificial intelligence, and have a lot to gain, but don't necessarily have the talent or capital to to, to kind of manifest that. So that's kind of we're trying to kind of spread the wealth to everyone else.
1: <laughs> I see. So was this kind of like you know your idea, your manifestation, or was it uh, was there a reason or something that triggered you and your partners to to pursue this?
0: Yeah. So um, I've been working on a, a computer vision software platform since uh, my early days in college. And I'd I'd, I'd been working on it for a few years. And it got to the point where it was actually quite capable. And um, my ultimate career path was always going to be AI. my ultimate goal was always to, you know, be a a contributor in the artificial intelligence field. And um, we, uh, my co founder and I became a little frustrated, we both came from uh, the Department of Defense, Uh, we became frustrated in the way that there's a lot of advances happening in AI, but there's a lot of apprehension towards its use in areas such as defense and medicine. And there, there's very good reasons why, right? Because in consumer industry, the consequences of artificial intelligence models being wrong are incredibly less severe than they are in the realms of, in comparison to the realms of defense or in medicine. And so, um, but there's a lot of advances that I felt like there at the time, there was maybe a little bit of a wrong approach where Everyone viewed AI as trying to replace capabilities of humans instead of really augment the capabilities. And so we set out to start, you know, really continue to develop this computer vision platform out and try to help these industries really play to a different note in that we're trying to augment their, you know, people's capabilities instead of replace them. So what I mean by that is like with a physician, you, you don't necessarily want to replace the physician's capabilities. You want to enhance their situational awareness and provide them with more data quicker, more insight, faster, so that they can do the job that they are more skilled in than a computer is by far in, in surgery or in neuropsychology or whatever it is. And we started with obviously computer vision and, uh, our first, uh, our, our, we've been, and we've been revenue positive ever since, which has been a blessing, but we really gained a lot of attraction in the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. Our our original customers were more of in uh, animal conservation and hunting and security, and we actually gained a significant, we were always trying to break into the healthcare field, and we gained uh, significant attention during the COVID-19 pandemic, Um, specifically in our, I mean, in our opinion, it was more specifically because uh, we think people were really in crisis mode, trying to think of how to solve a very complex problem fast, and that required tools that really haven't been previously employed. There was a lot of apprehension in healthcare to uh, really accept AI, and there still there still is to some regard. Um, healthcare is is slow moving for for you know uh, good reasons, right? Uh, regulation and everything, and incorporating a new technology on top of that is not necessarily a good ingredient to add to the soup um, if it's not if it's not developed uh, appropriately and in the right way. And so um, uh, anyway, we we got. Uh, our, the, our, our initial product that we developed in healthcare was to screen uh, x-rays and determine whether or not an X, chest x-ray had COVID-19 pneumonia and about six other conditions within uh, a chest x-ray. And uh, we actually turned out, it turned out to be a very successful product. We actually uh, contributed it. We donated it fully. We didn't make any money on it. And that was by design. We really just wanted to help the cause. Uh, but it really helped open up a lot of the physicians that we were associated with in, in, realizing that, okay, AI has, you know, there, there there's some real advances here. There's some real things that we can take advantage of to try to help our, to help our cause and help our, our uh, daily jobs. And um, it, from then it just kind of moved into more work and more work and more work. And we have, uh, you know, built a a training platform that has gotten a lot more work uh, in in different aspects of healthcare ever since. So it originally started with really just trying to um, again, focus on, AI development within those fields that aren't really weren't really receiving a significant
1: amount of attention. Got it. And can we talk a little bit more about that study or that uh, publication you had uh, regarding medical imaging? So sure. where was the data set, data set coming from? Was it from donators or did you get them online? So
0: some of the data came from uh, data from data sets online. And then we also went out and augmented that with our own data set. So we actually partnered with an x-ray technician lab, really is what it was, and uh, made an agreement with them. And they actually provided us with some de-identified chest x-rays that were confirmed by technicians on whether or not uh, they had certain conditions. And so we, the reason we did that is because obviously there was a massive amount of data online that we could really gain a, a foothold with our model and train it pretty fast. But we didn't I don't necessarily like to take the data sets online as you know ground as 100 validity of what they really say they are you have to really do your own implementation of quality control on top of that and so uh, we really went and 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 got our own data acquired our own data sets to uh, that we knew was of good fidelity and of the of the resolution everything we needed um, consolidated the two and then really uh, built a machine learning model on top of that what was pretty, and, and along the way, uh, we learned a lot about, you know, HIPAA compliancy and, and all the privacy implications that come with that, which was a very big eye opener and actually something that uh, really stuck with me that we try to implement in all of our machine learning applications, whether it's in healthcare or not, just because it seems like if you can, uh, if you can gain the trust of people by knowing that their privacy is protected, they're going to be less apprehensive towards the use and application of AI in certain fields. But yeah, Yeah. it's, it's essentially, it's essentially, uh, the product we developed as an app and it imports, has the ability to import or capture an image of a chest X-ray and then screen for biomarkers that are markers that indicate whether or not uh, COVID-19 is present, pneumonia is present, emphysema, different things, and, uh, provide a report to the physician that they can either triage up to make, uh, so it's meant as a screening tool, not as a, to replace the radiologist. Right. But it's, it's meant to give them more information, triage, you know, higher, higher probability of COVID cases at the top so that these folks can get attention faster. And, and in that regard, it's not making the final decision in that decision chain, but uh, it's available in the app store, uh, you know, for proof that it, it was built is under COVID AI. And uh, it's, it's, it was really What's the, name ever, of the app uh, COVID AI.
1: COVID AI. Okay.
0: Yeah. Um, and it was, uh, yeah, it, the, the architecture behind that, and that we delineated it in that paper, uh, a little bit, but it's, uh, was something different than what we'd done before and, and pretty eye uh, the kind of, some of the parallels that it had with the way the human brain works in some regards. So, um, it was, it was really an incredible, uh, incredible process and
1: really grateful for it. That's interesting. I, I kind of want to understand what you mean by how the brain works. Is this where the neuropsychology part of this comes in?
0: Um, Kind of, uh, but yes, partially, but, uh, what I specifically mean by this is, um, typically when you have a machine learning model, it's, uh, it's an, or a neural network, right. That cloud does pattern recognition. It's one, it's basically one model. Um, and it's looking for like, if if I, if I were to use a neural network to classify a car within an image, you're basically feeding it the whole image. Right. And then there's, there's a parking lot behind it or there's roads or there's trees and it's got a, it's it's got to be smart enough to sift through that and say, okay, where's the car and is it a red car or is it a blue car kind of a thing? And that's pretty hard to just send a straight, a neural network, just that image. So if you can go a layer deeper and and the way the mind works, is it like, if I'm trying to find my car in a parking lot, my red car, uh, it's, it's going to first make sure I'm looking at a parking lot, make sure I'm looking at a group of cars, and then it's going to make sure it's going to try to find my car within that group of cars. And then it's going to confirm that it's red and the license plate, et cetera. So it's really doing this hierarchical logic structure of pattern recognition. It's not just saying find the red car within whatever I see. It's your mind knows how to descend the hierarchy. And we took that same principle within the uh, machine learning model. And that, um, so if you, in in, in capturing chest x-rays, so if you import, or if you take an image of the chest x-ray, right, there's a lot of things that are on the x-ray such as there might be optical glares or there might be text right for what uh, for whatever you know whatever is is on the chest x-ray but we have to filter all that out so we basically segregate all that out and say okay find just the important part of the x-ray okay we found the x-ray now segregate the lungs find the two lungs and look at just those lungs and and you know delineate the sternum and everything and so and then once you find the lungs find the lower ventricle find the upper ventricles, etc so you're basically doing object detection in this hierarchical fashion. Um, but you're using smaller models. So instead of having this one giant model that just does pattern recognition on a single image, you have a series of smaller models that break down the logic structure and it it worked really, really well. I was, I was really, it was a big learning moment. I was blown away.
1: That's amazing. That sounds really interesting. So I know that in some at some level, you're also using blockchain technology or plan to use blockchain technology to incorporate uh some increased level of security or transparency. Um with your models can you explain a little bit about that but first actually when did you hear about blockchain for the first time I'm curious how you, what your story is there so
0: i first heard about blockchain in uh probably 2012 2013 and um i i didn't dig i didn't read my the first white paper on it till 2015 and um i've i've always paid attention to it and um you know i, I built my own uh, erc20 ethereum token to try to kind of like make more sense of of how everything works and i've always been really fascinated by it but i originally only thought of blockchain technology as currency as as monetary financial currency but it's you know much more than that so what uh we're trying to do with seeker and and kind of the intersect with that in healthcare is uh we're trying to actually use blockchain to provide uh, like a snapshot of of a machine learning model so our models, uh, they learn over time. So the model you have now is not the same model that you had five minutes ago, and it's not the same model you had in 10 minutes. So if you have, in order to implement proper quality control, you basically have to have these blockchain transactions, right? So at least that's our intent. So you can go back and say, okay, well, at this transaction, we, we start to see some, a bit of chaos and a bit of uh, higher variance in the, in the classifications this model is receiving. You know, let's try to revert it back. But at the same time, you have to be sensitive of what the neural network is learning or what the machine learning model is learning and the information those neurons contain. So you can't necessarily just rely on software commits, right? You really need a really encrypted, secure platform and blockchain is a huge vehicle for that. And so that's, that's the route that we are pursuing right now and trying to really provide another layer of security um, with uh, our models and with our customers, uh, but also leverage the incredible potential blockchain has outside of finance.
1: So that's pretty interesting, and I'm thinking about, you know, like you mentioned, the model might be different five minutes from now. Is it really changing every like minute or five minutes? Is that is that timing uh, determined by you? Is it determined by your customer? And then, uh, who is the person or the team that's deciding when to incorporate the new data? Let's say there's a set of data in the last five minutes that was super high variance. Uh, how is what is the governance around either? permitting that new data to enter the model or rejecting that data because there's some sort of like weird thing happening in the world and it didn't make sense. Like it shouldn't be in the model. We don't want to ruin the model. Yeah. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So the the rate at which it learns is, is agreed upon by our customers because we can either have a federated learning approach where we have access to uh, a cloud connection, right? In which we're really, we're really building one giant machine learning model from several edge models um, but in that regard, especially in healthcare, there's some pushback because you might be, you know, there's exposure, patient privacy potentially with an internet connection, machine learning. Some people don't like that, even though there's ways to really cryptographically secure it and make sure you're using de-identified data. But uh, so you can, we can, we can implement it through federated learning, so that after every transaction, it makes a you know a connection with the cloud and says, okay, this is what I viewed, etc. Or it can learn on its own through you know kind of a, a neuroplastic behavior uh and what we've tried to what we originally employed uh we originally employed this with uh that that covid ai app right with mm-hmm. that machine learning model and what we originally did is with these physicians we said okay after you make a classification on this model uh if you know what it is we originally had a board of uh, some radiologists go through the data and and say and and kind of review everything or review the model to, for accuracy and they would say okay this is accurate it classified covid-19 correctly or this is not accurate it classified it as pneumonia when it was really covid-19 and then it would update itself right there. So it would, it would basically uh, back propagate, you know, this new information, update the neural structure within the neural network. And then, you know, hopefully it was more accurate on the next time. There were some times where you have a runaway train, right, where it updates itself and updates itself and it just gets less and less and less accurate. And so there's like this asymptote you approach where it's accurate enough and it's not going to get any more accurate um, until, you know, there's a change in architecture or something. But
1: Um, it's like dropping a like a you know a cup of water into the ocean it doesn't really change the the ocean much exactly yeah
0: Yeah. and so trying to find where that is 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 pretty challenging um, because with a neural network to get a big technical for a second you have potentially millions or billions of neurons that are these little functions that are all working together to basically make a a classification or recognize a pattern and but then the the objects you're trying to detect or the patterns you're trying to detect don't necessarily use all of those neurons. In fact, they rarely use all the neurons. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of wasted. Um, there's a lot of wasted space, a lot of wasted neural structure in there. And you can prune that so that you can, it's either smaller or you can leverage neurons that aren't getting used to say, okay, I need additional accuracy to detect a certain object. Let me you know, try to find a different neural pathway. And so you kind of go, you kind of go into the realm of like in healthcare, the realm of neural plasticity. So basically trying to grow and prune a neural network to classify new things as that it wasn't previously trained on, but get more accurate as it learns. And that's something that um, our models facilitate that we're trying to really implement the accuracy on and and, and try to be a leader in that regard. And uh, but to answer your question, uh, I apologize for the tangent, but to answer your question, it, it really is determined by the customer on how comfortable they are for us accessing and updating the model and how accurate the model we believe at this state currently is
1: awesome. Thanks for that. answer. And just to add on that, when you, when you're talking about pruning the model, uh, does that also make the algorithm go faster? Does it, does it increase the processing speed for, for getting results as well? Yes, yes, absolutely.
0: So if you have a neural network that's using 60% or 70% of its neurons and it's, you know, X size and you can trim the other 30% it's not using. Then you have 70% of the capacity or 70% of the size, um, which being able to implement that is difficult, but it's, you know, has, it's, it's really quite powerful and has a lot of potential to make it faster and everything else. And it really, it it does make it faster. We have
1: proof that it actually works. So cool. It's really interesting. I'm curious more about like the, the technical blockchain layer or protocol that you're using and how that's being built out, or is that something that's still in development and discussion or have you guys built that out already?
0: So development has started and, and we're really trying to find the appropriate medium in which to, uh, in which to develop it on. Right now, it's, on, it's through Ethereum, through the ERC, uh, ERC20 tokens. And right now, I mean, gas prices for Ethereum are, are, are high, right? And in order mm-hmm. to make transactions, if you're making transactions a lot, then it's going to be uh, pretty costly. But that actually has some benefit with it because you really you don't you want to make sure when you update the model you really intend to and you're not just throwing it away right so all right if it's going to cost me so much money to update this model then I'm, I know that I'm willing to pay like I, I know that it actually is worth it for me to update the model so there's some level of like uh, quality control and control of the of, of of how often you do that we looked at building our own uh, cryptocurrency uh, in order to kind of facilitate this something that maybe is a little simpler. That uh, kind of can facilitate the same structure, but uh, we're we're not quite there yet. Uh, we're really just trying to prove everything out through this through ERC twenty tokens, um, and it's I mean it's worked well so far. But as far as the what the terminal currency will be, I'm not quite sure yet.
1: Are you optimistic about the you know recent upgrades with Ethereum and what's happening uh, with ETH two
0: Yes, very optimistic, and that and if that you know, if a lot of the promises that they, uh, you know, if, if they fulfill a lot of those promises, then that actually might be what we stay with,
1: you know? Right. And the uh, gas costs will go down significantly, you could scale it, have a lot more transactions. Um, Absolutely. So I do know that you also are, you have a seeker coin, you know, I think that's what you're referring to right now. Mm-hmm. Um, can you explain exactly what utility that has and why you need it?
0: Sure. So <clears throat> secret coin uh, was uh, it's originally intended to uh, originally tokenized part of the equity of our company right in order to uh, basically uh, I, I, I obviously like to raise company. money yeah. yes for equity of, of secret right so obviously to raise money and also to um, kind of uh, pave some of the way for the infrastructure that we needed in order to uh, actually build the uh, the healthcare neural network quality control aspect of it um, so that's essentially what it is right now uh, however, uh, we really, it's quite, it's kind of interesting. And I have to answer the question in a long way, but uh, a lot of the pattern recognition, the computer vision technology that we use for healthcare, we actually were able, we, we had an effort started about a year and a half ago in order to use that to identify different trends within financial data of stocks and cryptos. And so it's kind of interesting how you kind of leverage that architecture across, but you can turn uh, stock market data into a computer vision problem by actually constructing your own set of, of, of charts, right? And certain charts are indicative of certain patterns and certain charts are indicative of, of downtrends, uptrends, et cetera. And uh, we, have, we have proof that it, it works, right? And then that the, the platform that we were able to use for healthcare is actually kind of leveraged in that regard towards uh, a fund. So we actually have a fund that we've simulated uh, or that we've, we've had for the last year and a half that um, has been tested by these algorithms. So that we have a track record for investors, right, and a track record that it you know it actually works um, when the that token is deployed. But part of the really the mission of, of cryptocurrencies is to kind of you know decentralize things. And with a hedge fund, it's kind of complicated to buy in and sell out of, of a hedge fund. You have to be, have a certain net worth. You have to invest a certain amount. You have to have certain qualifications. Um, and you know we're trying to take the, all the benefits of that, but also kind of really. Uh, Minimize or, or or relax the requirements in some regard to allow people to invest into our fund through by buying a cryptocurrency token, uh, particularly uh, an Ethereum ERC20 token. So that token is tied to the value of that fund that uses this algorithmic trading artificial intelligence platform, and we're, we're intending to make it so you can buy in and sell out, you know, much more frequently and much easier than you can uh, with a typical hedge fund. And kind of like how Robinhood has made it easier for, you know, younger people to buy and sell stocks and had a lot of attraction in that regard. Uh, we're trying to basically accomplish a similar smaller effort in that regard with uh, a hedge fund type structure so that, you know, lower net worth individuals, uh, people who really aren't a typical hedge fund type uh, or investment type uh, can actually take advantage of artificial intelligence and invest in a fund, but also if they don't Want to be part of it anymore? They can sell out quite easily, so it's it's got its own level of appeal. But that's actually so that that effort started within Seeker and is now kind of a separate entity uh, as, as uh, under the Seeker umbrella. But um, it's it's really quite interesting how that that what we de- originally developed for healthcare was actually able to be de- leveraged in, in finance, in, you know, cryptocurrency and finance. Yeah,
1: yeah. And you mentioned you're you know working in different verticals: uh, healthcare, defense, sports. I think I don't know if you mentioned it, but it's on your website in agriculture. Um out of like all the different verticals you're you've looked at, played around with, what would you say at this point is like the the breakdown like ten percent fifty percent? What's the breakdown in terms of time being spent in those categories right now?
0: So right now I, I would say it's ten uh, percent defense, probably fifty percent agriculture, thirty percent manufacturing, well probably forty percent agriculture, forty percent manufacturing, um, and then, uh, or sorry, uh, 40% healthcare Healthcare, and then 10. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 40% healthcare and then 10% manufacturing. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's we, we, we've done some defense work, but we're want to be really careful about what we do in that regard because there's a bad way to go about it and there's a good way. Right. And so we're trying, I don't know how much longer that's going to continue, but, uh, if we can kind of influence the ethics in that regard and the way I I is using defense, that would be good. But, uh, it really depends on on the contracts we could get and what you know can happen
1: yeah I mean you bring up ethics it's a really good point not just in defense but also in healthcare I think the idea behind blockchain is to start to have these really interesting bioethics conversations or like morality conversations around um, you know what humans are meant to do or control or, or not control so um, any any thoughts on that or any experience you've had that kind of Changed you as a person, or surprised you while working with different, uh, you know, clients or, or individuals.
0: Yeah, so there, there's, there's quite a few, um, and I, I love this topic uh, just because it's, it's an important one. There, uh, there's a quite a few papers out there um, that kind of illustrate how uh, machine engineers really influence the model, right, and they import their own level of bias, right, and their own mm-hmm. level of of, of, of variance in that regard. Um, especially if you acquire a data set, right. And it's really, maybe the model isn't biased, but the data set is particularly biased. So if you have a very biased data set, but you have a very unbiased model, you still have a biased model. And uh, it's important that the quality control of those data sets are, are very, very, very well maintained. Um, you know, it's become very easy to download things online and build, you know, a pretty high tech AI product, um, with open source data. But, it's hard to go through a hundred thousand images and say, "Okay, this is really a black car. This is really a blue car. This is really a green truck. This is really, you
1: know." Isn't that what the captures are about? Isn't that what we do when we uh we uh, prove our humanity uh, by filling out those captures? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it's
0: uh it's it's really monotonous to do that, and no one wants to go through and do that for uh you know a hundred thousand you know millions of images uh and even if they did they could still have their own bias on it right okay well it's gray but our only option it's a great pickup is it our only options are blue and black you know it's so how do you how do you go and i'm using kind of a, a rudimentary example but uh the, the principle applies to really any type of data uh and it, it's really important that we find a way to quality control that data so that we can you know help relieve bias within artificial intelligence models um there's uh, if anyone, uh, I don't know if you watched the Coded Bias on Netflix.
1: I didn't actually, I saw, uh, I'm going to put that on my list. Thank you. I watched yeah. the social network um, documentary about on Netflix, but not that one.
0: Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I would encourage you to take a look at it. It's, it's really quite interesting and I think you'll love it, but it really, in a nutshell, it really goes into explaining how uh, a lot of these artificial intelligence models um, are having significant impacts on people's lives because they were trained with bias data so they're wrongly convicting criminals or they're wrongly approving certain credit scores uh, or certain people for 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 credit uh and and they're wrong and it was because they drill down to it the the you know, fundamental reason on why that is and it came down to bias in the data set and so it's when you release something such as like facial recognition or an ai model that uh can be used to approve people for loans and things like that um those those are pretty important things, right And if they're wrong, they can they can really dramatically affect people's lives. So it's very important to make sure that that data is very properly controlled um, and, and you know there's no level of, of bias. So a couple of reasons to help rectify that is uh, at least the secret we do is we try to uh, we try to have several different angles at the data set right So if we download data set online like we have uh, you know statistical sampling in which we have people that aren't engineers and engineers. And people who, you know, really are outside of the domain, but also domain experts come in to provide different levels of of, um, insight onto, you know, how well the data set is constructed. And then we revise and redline accordingly. Um, I think it's also very important that if you're developing an application uh, within an artificial intelligence application, it's important that you incorporate the appropriate level of domain expertise. So like uh, for Seeker, we could have downloaded all this these uh, chest X-rays online and probably built a a, a artificial intelligence application that classifies patterns in chest X-rays without ever talking to a healthcare professional. That would have been very bad (laughs) because we're, we're engineers, right? We're not, uh, we're not healthcare professionals. We have not gone to school for this amount of time. We don't, or for such a amount of time that these uh, physicians have, we don't have the level of knowledge that they have. So it's important to bring these people in to uh, really oversee how you're building these models and how your data sets uh, being accumulated in order to try to relieve bias.
1: That makes a lot of sense. And I think that's something any startup in the healthcare space should uh, really be focused on is talking to providers, patients, um, people that are actually working in the healthcare system to get their perspective, super important. Uh, Yeah, we talked a little bit about Coin. I'm kind of curious now. So um, does that mean, so you're tokenizing equity, is that in progress? And how are you developing your community? Like, what are you doing to build your community? Where are they? You know, are they on Slack? Are they on Reddit? What's the
0: yeah? So uh, the yeah, the effort is in progress. Um, we 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 set forth two efforts, right? One is to uh, to tokenize the equity, and other one was tokenize um, that fund. And so we, we initially started with the fund. Um, and that's, you know, that took a little longer than expected, but, uh, just because we weren't really prepared for some of the regulatory, uh, yeah, nuances sure. we had to go through. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, uh the, t- the equity is next and, um, that really it's the, the effort started and we're really trying to build that community up as we speak. So, um, we do have a Reddit forum. Uh, we've got uh, an email list that, uh, You know, we're trying to reach out with, we've got a marketing plans through a few investors that we plan to uh, reach out to and kind of employ. It's not going to be a big raise just because, um, you know, Seeker is profitable as it is, but uh, it is going to be so we don't have like, you know, a significant as significant of a marketing campaign as like a full up crypto token that was listed on Coinbase might have, but uh, it is, you know, it's kind of the, the stepping stone that we want to have in order to kind of manifest the, the fun token and then also the, uh, the uh, neural network blockchain token.
1: Welcome to the Health Unchained News Corner. Two major mental health platforms have agreed to merge their efforts to reach over 100 million consumers. Ginger, a teletherapy startup, and Headspace, a meditation journey app, are planning to close a deal in the last quarter of 2021 to create Headspace Health. The two companies aim to provide a full range of mental health services, from coaching, therapy, and psychiatric care, to basic resilience-building techniques like meditation. According to the executives, the combined company will have the world's largest mental health data set which will be used to provide highly personalized care to individuals. Although both companies have not shared any plans to use or experiment with decentralized ledger technology, I think the sensitivity of mental health data will demand ultra high security and data encryption strategies to protect user privacy. As the COVID-19 pandemic has shown mental health disorders like depression and anxiety are serious conditions that are so often not addressed. Mental health services are disparate in many parts of the world. According to the World Health Organization, close to 1 billion people worldwide live with a mental health disorder, and 75% of people with mental, neurological, and substance use disorders receive no treatment for their conditions at all. The two companies aim to significantly scale access to research-backed, high-quality, affordable care through a virtual platform both companies will leverage their clients and industry partnerships to enhance their offerings to their members. As a paying Headspace user myself, I can say that their meditation exercises and overall user experience is outstanding, and I'm looking forward to learning how the combined datasets will bring us new insights into the world of mental health. I hope they take user privacy even more seriously now that they hold the largest honeypot of mental health user data in the industry. I do believe that a distributed network could provide data access management security and may also create new incentivization opportunities for users. We'll see when blockchain technology is considered by Headspace Health and for what use case. Check out the show notes for more info on this merger. And now back to the episode with Cordell France, CEO of Seeker Technologies. What would you say is right now your biggest challenge that you're facing and you're working on?
0: I think the biggest challenge or one of the biggest challenges right now is in establishing trust with uh, artificial intelligence or with, with, uh, with anyone who's really, whether they are familiar with AI or they're not, um, just because there are instances where AI has been used, where it, um, you know, it, it's definitely hurt some people, uh, such as the applications I just mentioned with facial recognition, um, credit approval, different aspects in that regard. Uh, and also there's, there's a huge concern about people's privacy. Originally, these artificial intelligence models were quite large and they had to live on the cloud. And so there was a transaction that had to be made with the cloud, right? In order you had to send data to the cloud and the cloud had to send a classification back. We've gotten to the point where our technology is good enough and these net, these AI models have been able to be compressed so much smaller that they've been able to fit on the device without the need of an internet connection. They can actually live on the device and not you know, take up the entire hard drive. So you said device,
1: uh, you mean like the mobile app or the... Mobile phone, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Thank you. For, yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, yeah. So, like, if you uh, if you download an app, right, you can the there's sometimes the machine learning model is embedded inside the app. Um, even edge devices such as uh, like um, smart home assistants, right? They can have the capability of of having um, updatable machine learning models that are on the edge. I'm not sure exactly if they do or not, uh, but uh, they have the capability to at least because you know technology's gotten quite a bit better. All that being said. The, the compression of these models and being able to kind of have everything at the edge has been an important stepping stone for us and something we've been able to capitalize on because uh, it, it helps ensure people's privacy. We can say, hey, we can give you more accuracy later on if you give if you would you know like to implement this federated federated learning approach um, in which we can update this model. But if you choose to not do so, then we can um, we will we'll close the connection. Right, the model will live on your device. Your data will stay on your device. Um, we won't, you know, there's no way for us to look at anything, but, uh, it, it, so it, that's, that's been pretty important. And that's been pretty, uh, a pretty big hallmark in gaining trust with different people. Um, in particular with agriculture, there wasn't really, there doesn't seem to be a lot of, uh, a lot of expertise in that regard, at least from our experience. And so a lot of these folks that we talk to, once we explain kind of what AI is and the potential computer vision, and we show them a few products or a few demos uh, you know, it really starts to click in their head on what they can and can't do uh, with AI, and so you know that that kind of starts to to get the gears rolling, and they they start to suggest some applications and see some opportunities in which they can implement um, AI and specifically computer vision in their own in their own product line. So, I guess the the long of the short of what I'm saying is, I think making sure that people understand what AI is, what we can do, and what we shouldn't do, uh, and 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 making sure that they understand like really the the extent of the application you know, that that we're building is, is pretty important because some people, when they hear AI, they think Terminator or they think iRobot. And it's like, well, no, we're quite a long ways away from that. So we will have to make sure that these folks understand.
1: Yeah, no. And I think the, the specific use case you mentioned with you know medical imaging and pattern recognition, that seems to be a very palatable, understandable kind of use case, um, especially if you compare it to like taking unstructured data from EMRs or genetic genetic information from, from people—that's um, right. a little bit more complicated. Requires a lot more work, and I'm sure that people are working on it. It's just more complex, and there's probably a lot more bias in there as well. Who knows? Um, and it's interesting because you know you mentioned federated learning a number of times. That's something that uh, the company that I'm currently working for now, Consensus Health, is also very interested in. So I think federated learning seems to be a very Um, useful way of going about this sort of AI community development and incorporating different types of organizations, stakeholders that don't really want to share their own data, but they want to have better algorithms to do so. So it's pretty cool. Absolutely.
0: Um, I 100% agree.
1: And I do agree with you on the trust thing too. I think a lot of people, we just lack trust. And I think hopefully blockchain will slowly and slowly eventually create that underlying trust that we haven't had on the internet ever. Like the internet is like an untrustworthy place. Um, But I think blockchain will eventually enable that like sense of security because, um, you know, it's just something that makes sense to me. I don't know what you think.
0: Yeah, I I definitely agree. And I mean, the whole premise behind blockchain to kind of decentralize finance, if we can take a decentralization approach with artificial intelligence such that, you know, ultimately I think... Those the leaders in AI are going to be leaders in significant other realms because the advances that AI can provide in industries outside of just engineering and AI and computer science. So if we can try to decentralize that and make sure that there's not a lot of power within a few key players, then that's that's pretty powerful, right? And that's what crypto is is essentially done is it's right. allowed, you know, that you know power to be distributed effectively. And I think you know federated learning is, is a good approach to make sure that we can kind of implement the same uh, key points with artificial intelligence, uh, but also you know ensuring that uh, ensuring that we have you know we have trust and there's you know the same level of security and cybersecurity that is implemented with cryptocurrency is also implemented with artificial intelligence in all realms, and the protection of privacy is uh, is of course uh, maintained. And I think that's 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 pretty good, and that's a, that's a pretty good route. Um, if yeah, if Google and Apple and Amazon have control of you know, no matter how good their intentions are, if they all have control over artificial intelligence models and these massive data sets, it that that's not good.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm still. I mean, I can see uh, Google, Amazon you know, coming out with their own coins eventually once at the right time. But maybe I'm wrong. I mean, Amazon recently uh, denounced that announcement that was saying they were going to start accepting coins for their products but um that was not true. So
0: interesting. Oh, really? I didn't actually I didn't hear that. That's interesting.
1: So yeah, I think it was last week or something. There was some news journal or something that said Amazon will start accepting Bitcoin at the end of 2021 or something. It turns out that was a false announcement. Uh I don't know who oh. came up with that, but it shot up the price of Bitcoin from like, I don't know, 32,000 to like 38,000 or something like that. I'm estimating here. Uh, but and it went up pretty significantly not just because of that news but i think that was part of it right
0: yeah that's uh, i noticed that the, you know the price of, of a lot of cryptos that i'm watching uh went up over the last week and i was wondering what the enabler was or one of the enablers were at least and that's 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 interesting that makes a lot of sense
1: wow when it goes to show you that this is still a really nascent early uh space we're in things can Change really quickly. It's still very volatile, very risky. So anyone listening, you know, again, this is not financial advice or anything like that. Um, But it's still very interesting, I think, to think about. And over time, the expectation is that the networks will become more and more distributed, uh, leading to more and more stable prices, leading to potentially uh, useful currency.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. I'm Um, I'm excited for the the future of it and, and kind of the route everything will take especially more and more players getting in.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, If you think about just the last five years, there's been so much progress, Um, but I want to talk to you about a goal that you have that I saw on your profile, which is you want to replicate consciousness through AI. And I've heard this like a number of times from other people as well. And I think it's really a fascinating idea. Um, It's hard to think about because we really don't know what that will mean. Like, will we be able to feel uh, emotions and what does, How do we see things? It's really an interesting thing. So wondering what your thoughts are on that.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, artificial intelligence really is uh, it's it's really trying to replicate parts of the way the human brain works. Right. So we have these, uh, you know, computer vision is utilizing structure um, that's leveraged from the way the visual cortex works uh, to try to classify and identify uh, things within camera footage and, and images. And the same goes for sounds, you know, and we're we're trying to basically provide these very narrow solutions that replicate specific instances of, uh, of the human brain, which Hmm. really is quite fascinating, right? Because if you, if you look at AI going back in time, like from really when it first started developing, there were a lot of different efforts and they all come back to kind of trying to, they all come back to like some form of the way the brain works, which is, Quite interesting because it kind of shows you wow like we really have the most optimal design in our heads which is kind of fascinating right like evolution has or, or what you know whatever you believe in has provided such uh, the the aspect of time and reproduction and everything has evolved such a fantastic design in the human brain that um you know we're able to try to leverage that in our engineering um and so that that's pretty fascinating to me but the whole, the whole industry seems to be going towards that route. And, you know, I, I, I have a, a goal and I always have to, I want to try to be, contribute some sort in a significant way to the advance of artificial intelligence and simulation of consciousness or replicating consciousness. It uh, seems to be a, a pretty good route. And really the, that's kind of the, um, the pinnacle in my mind. Now, I don't necessarily think that everything we can do with AI, we should do with AI. So just because we can simulate parts of consciousness and try to in- integrate all these artificial intelligence capabilities together doesn't necessarily mean it'll be a good outcome, but it could be that what we learn from it could facilitate a good outcome. So basically, by doing it once, we can learn basically what to avoid or, or try to maybe uh, try to stop a, a bad outcome from happening. Because... Um, what I'm concerned about is there's like, uh, if, if you're familiar with like Neuralink, I mean, you talked about it before on your podcast and brain computer interfaces, yeah. it, every, every one of those articles I seem to read say we're using AI to build a brain computer interface. So you're building, you're building hardware and software that we know is biased and built by biased individuals. And we're going to implement that into ourselves. And that, I mean, if you have read, if you just have write access or read, I mean, if you have read and write access, that's a bad, that's a bad deal, right? If you can, if you can actually sure. alter your brain through the device. Um, but that, that, that's pretty scary to me, right? And, and I don't think that that, that needs to be, I, I think, approached with a lot more caution. And if we can maybe just try to focus on one, right, and try to say, okay, these are the things that we should and what I mean by that focus on uh, the software side by just simulating consciousness without actually integrating it with the human brain and to say, okay, these are the things that we should try to avoid when we merge computers with humans. Uh, I, that would be that's, that's pretty important. Um, I think there's a lot of advances to it as well because uh, we have actually a research paper we're working on right now on neuroplasticity. and I've, uh, my colleagues and I have learned quite a bit with the way the brain works and the way it evolves and, and, and changes itself throughout time. And really the hardware changes, like the way your the neurons actually change um with response to you know adversity and stress and everything. It's been very eye-opening. Um and I'm in no sense have any expertise in neuroscience. So I, I appreciate those folks that uh, you know, have gone down that path and are teaching me. But um it, it really by being able to simulate something, we can try to understand more about it and try to hopefully cure uh, and and know a lot more about these diseases that we are having a hard time gaining ground on. So, like mm-hmm. um, in engineering, if you want to see if something works, you simulate scenarios, right? So, if you want to simulate, uh, you know, you want to try to see if a uh, you know our financial algorithm works, then you go and you back test it on you know, several years of past data and you simulate it's wor- it working. Um, if we want to simulate different, you know, levels of... of, of uh, now we even guess- have like
1: protein folding, like uh, algorithms too, that are really, really advanced. Like DeepMind is, has yes. been, um, you know, they published a really important paper, I think, on how their AI is able to simulate how, you know, multiple proteins interact with each other and fold. And it's really important for, you know, all bio pharma companies, and even just understanding the human body biology, it's really important.
0: Yes, absolutely. And there's, there's two aspects to that, right? Because one of them is taking the aspect of, or one aspect is saying, okay, we're trying to learn about how these things work so that we can try to cure the faults within our own body and try to advance, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. medicine and healthcare in that regard. And then another aspect of it is, well, you're trying to replicate something a human can do. Well, you know, and it depends on what school of thought you're in, or really kind of, uh, you know, what side you're on, but I'm, I'm kind of of the former, where if we can try to replicate more accurately, certain aspects of the brain, then we can understand and try to, to cure a lot of these things wrong with it. I think we're a long way from uh, artificial general intelligence, where we have something that, you know, really is iRobot. Uh, and it has it can do, you know, it's got computer vision, and it's got all these different uh, neural networks com- uh, fused together to provide actual legitimate intelligence, right? but it starts with the stepping stones and if we can make sure that we are uh, you know it, it, we're relieving bias from models and we're actually architecting the stepping stones and the parts of consciousness that will be used to actually replicate it, then you know the, the sum of those parts will hopefully have those
1: flaws removed as well. Can I ask you a question that's popped into my head? Sure. Do you think uh, an AI with consciousness will be able to meditate? That is a good question. I don't expect like a definite answer, just an interesting thing to think about because that's something that, at least for me, has been an important part of my life and for a lot of people that I know as well. And it's increasingly become more part of the lexicon. People are more interested in meditation, yoga, you know, et cetera. And I think that we are starting to get to know ourselves more and more over time. I think it's really interesting to see how you know, they talk about the singularity where we learn so much about ourselves, and AI learn so much about us. We kind of like unite and form this one single entity. Um, that's why I'm just curious what you th- what your thoughts are on that.
0: I yeah, I, that's that's interesting. I think, well, hopefully, let's just assume that it can, and and like we'll we'll just we'll play the, the argument that it's possible, and then it can do that. Then it's important that we really try to make sure that uh, that ability is incorporated within you know, a conscious, you know, a conscious AI, uh, you know, and that we try to integrate that capability within it. I was reading a paper the other day that said that if we have, you know, artificial intelligence robots, or artificially generally intelligent robots, that uh, it'll have to sleep, these robots will have to sleep, anything mm-hmm. that we can do with consciousness will have to sleep. Because just like humans, when you when you lay down, uh, and you go to you go to bed every night, your mind, your subconscious kicks on and your conscious kind of turns off and you kind of sift through all the events and you basically, your, your, your model of the world updates itself. Um, and you learn from everything and you recover and they're saying a robot would have to do the same thing in order to try to, uh, maintain bu- unbiased models and, and, and everything. So I didn't, I never, I've never hmm. thought about it that way, but it was kind of an interesting approach that they're like, yeah, robots are going to have to sleep just like humans. So I don't, I don't know. What are your thoughts? I on thought, that?
1: I thought we're building robots so we don't have to deal with the weaknesses of humans, which is one being sleep. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. It was. Uh,
0: and that's the argument that I've heard uh, or that like, yeah, that, that is, is typically posed. And so to see and to actually see a published paper on it, I was it was it was quite intriguing. But I, yeah, I don't know. I'd never thought about uh, I'd never thought about it that way.
1: Hmm. It's kind of interesting. Very cool. Well, this has been really interesting. I have a few other like more personal questions that I usually ask my, my guests. Uh, uh, well, first of all, before we do that, what's the roadmap for Seeker Technologies in the next for the rest of the year and beyond that high level? So the
0: roadmap for us this year is to uh, officially manifest um, the, our cryptocurrency projects, particularly in the tokenization of the equity and, uh, you know, formal release of the fund token. I don't think we're gonna, we won't be. I don't think we'll be to the status where we'll actually be able to release the uh, artificial intelligence uh, kind of uh, neural network token in that regard. But uh, we're making significant progress, and that's a significant development effort. Uh, we have some research efforts on neuroplasticity as I just spoke about on how we can kind of replicate the principles behind that with artificial intelligence and we have uh, an experiment in everything that's uh, quite interesting in that regard that we that will be published this year and then as far as just product development goes um, outside of that and, and kind of revenue generation um, we we plan to keep working with our clients in neuropsychology uh, and our clients in agriculture and manufacturing primarily to uh, you know in, in basically uh, they're all using this common computer vision platform um, and we're just basically adding more maturity uh, more fidelity more accuracy to that uh, and really trying to increase the capability of that and make it a, a bit a
1: bigger more key player in the, the AI space can you can you actually share the name of names of your clients is that okay would you be able to do that yeah yeah I can I can share a few so uh, Vista
0: Outdoors is one um, Bushnell is another one Dallas neuropsychology uh, is another firm. Um, is the specific uh, neuropsychology firm we're working with uh, and we actually have exclusivity with them uh, which is why we haven't branched out but they have a few different firms really smart group of people um, and they've uh, they've taught me a lot (laughs) but uh, um, other clients uh, involve uh, there's some agricultural uh, companies that we have that are a bit smaller um, and then some manufacturing companies that we're we're working with as well
1: that are a bit smaller thanks for that appreciate it Uh, so if it's not too personal, what would you consider to be your biggest mistake?
0: I think my biggest mistake uh, was probably probably not seeking uh, feedback earlier. So there's, I think there's a lot of talk uh, with within startups that you have to be kind of you have to follow your own conviction and you have to be very bold in your vision and you have to be um, you know very disciplined in that. And I, I do agree with that in some regard, but I think it's very important to have a very honest feedback loop because there's there's a couple there were a couple instances where, um, you know, I, I followed the, the, probably the, the, uh, stereotype of, of being, you know, very hard charging in my vision. And if I would have just paused and, and sought feedback, uh, I, I think I would have, we could have saved a lot of time a lot of effort, a lot of money. And I think that's very important because it keeps you, you know, grounded as an individual, but also grounds you, uh, you know, as, as a company and makes sure that you're using you, your investor's money appropriately and just promotes, um, you know, a more positive outcome, it's, it's hard because, you know, nobody wants to have their ego hurt. Right. And nobody, you know, whether it's personal or what's the company, right. Like I, if it's, if it's, if it's happens to seeker, then I take, it happens to me. Right. Because I'm it's, it's my, basically my life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's, it's hard to take criticism, but the faster you can reconcile the negative feedback, the faster you can have a product that is much more uh, adverse and much more um, you know, much more accurate and just a better product in general. And so being able to find a culture that isn't really going to tell you what you want to hear and, and, and will be honest with you, I think is pretty important. And I think that, uh, that, yeah, that's, that's something
1: I made a mistake on early on. That's really important, I think. And I appreciate you sharing that. I think it is important to have a culture where everyone's not just patting each other on the, on the back or something. It's, it's important to have that honest feedback so, and I asked that question because I think it's important for the community to, to learn from my guests' mistakes, my guest experiences. So that's very helpful. Thank you. Um, Absolutely. This question is something we kind of already talked about, but what are your thoughts on the singularity that is supposed to happen according to Ray Kurzweil in 2045? I think, uh,
0: I think it's a little bit further away than that. <laughs> um, but I, I think it's inevitable. I mean, we're, hmm. I don't know, I, I, whenever I think it's going to happen, it's not a matter of if, but when. Um, I mean, we see that there's these significant development efforts that are gaining significant investment with, you know, brain computer interfaces. Uh, AI is as hot as ever, right, in development, and it's only going to become more and more uh, powerful and evolved and smarter. I don't know uh, if, it's, if it's only 24 years away, but I think... I think it I think it's just a bit further but it I think it'll definitely happen. It's I think there's a few even if you approach a singularity I still think there's a few different outcomes on what the ultimate like goal of what that would be, right? Because if you have like if you have like let's just let's just take it back to the fundamentals and let's just say uh the artificial intelligence is going to be a huge contributor of singular of the singularity obviously and if we don't fix bias in models then we're going to have a very biased End goal of the singularity, right? Because you know, collectively we might have uh, an end goal that is to—I don't know—I can't think of an example, but it might not be. It could be to go down the left path when, if we fix bias, it would be go down the middle path, right? And if we fix bias too much, it goes down the right path. And so, I think you really have to. There's things we can do now to help promote a better outcome of the singularity.
1: Yeah, and I often think about like what is the prime directive of all machines, right? Um, And hopefully not killing humans is one of them. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Exactly. (laughs) uh, If you had to have a microchip implanted in your body, where would you want it to be implanted?
0: Depends on the development of that microchip. I, if I had, if it was something that uh, was just like, like could hold my passwords and hold like my identity, I think, you know, putting it in my wrist would be, you know, pretty uh, convenient because you could pay with it. You can, you know, scan it. You know, it's pretty easy to just flash your wrist up. Uh, If it has a lot more capability than that, and it, you know, is there's some unbiased AI that I would take a lot of convincing for me to actually do this, but uh, I think it would be helpful to have, give it read access from the brain and have it implanted in my brain, but not have write access.
1: Yeah. That's pretty interesting. Uh, I think like, like you mentioned, having it on your wrist to go buy something makes sense, but I think you would need like a secondary security step there to like maybe facial recognition or something that's that's in the device itself um not on Absolutely. the cloud or some somehow blockchain encrypted or something
0: yeah that, yeah i agree that could actually be a that should actually be a, a pretty interesting field uh, yeah. neuro, i mean what do you think about neurosecurity mm-hmm. like if we have mm. if we have uh, brain computer interfaces moving forward not if but when right <laughs> like your thoughts we're trying to make sense of your thoughts, right? Neurosecurity is going to be a pretty big deal. And that makes sure people can't read your thoughts. You may, you gotta make sure that you're updated on the, the most recent
1: neurosecurity software update, right? Like that's going to become a thing. It's scary. Cause if, if it's, you know, someone can hack your brain, they can hear all your thoughts. Actually, there was a movie I watched recently about this. It was a, so like on an airplane, I watched it. It was called noise. Yeah. And I think it was like on a different planet and basically it was weird because only the men were able to hear all the other. Sorry, no, only the men men's thoughts were out loud. So all the men's thoughts were out loud, but the women's thoughts were kept quiet. So it was really uh, interesting movie. Wow. And it's yeah. called noise. It's called noise. I think it was called all right. Noise.
0: I'm going to go. I'm going to go watch it. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I bet neurosecurity will become, uh, like something you can major in college late, like in a few years, probably that's those will be some pretty highly paid individuals.
1: <laughs> yeah, I could see that. Uh, last question here that I have, and then we can like wrap up is what's your favorite book or a book that's influenced you?
0: Uh, my favorite book uh, of all time is one I read as a child and it, uh, it it's, it's Frankenstein on, uh, actually, mm. um, because, <clears throat> you know there was a a huge ambition by dr frankenstein to make you know artificial life and then once it was you know built it there everyone was afraid of it and the whole premise is well you built me why did you build me if you're gonna run away from me kind of a thing and that's think that's kind of a synonymous to how ai will be and so in order to make sure frankenstein is something we're not afraid of we should probably make sure we're taking the appropriate steps to build it uh the right way i love that yeah that's probably the 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 best, the most fundamental one, I guess I've carried throughout my
1: whole life. Awesome. Cordell, this has been a really interesting conversation. I really enjoyed talking to you and I'm sure my audience love this as well. Is there anything else you want to leave the audience with or anything we missed we want to talk about? No, I just, I appreciate your time.
0: Um, I'm a big fan of the podcast and uh, I've, you know, I, I, I really appreciate, I really like your angles and your, uh, the, the guests that you have and Thank the you. way they think. And uh, so, yeah, um, I'll do anything I can to <clears throat> support the podcast um thank you to your listeners as well and hopefully the next time we talk uh, there's uh, some some significant advancements in in seeker and and in, and in, in ai in general
1: yeah and i look forward to having that conversation with you so best of luck to you and keep in touch we'll, we'll definitely be uh talking thank you absolutely thank you ray hey y'all you cyberpunk health warriors and nimble digital disruptors Check out healthunchained.org and remember to subscribe to Health Unchained on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and iTunes. Join the Health Unchained community on our Telegram group t.me slash healthunchained. If you enjoyed this episode, tell your friends, your bosses, your teams, your students to listen and subscribe. Thank you.